Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM, Brisbane's own community independent radio station. My name's Andy and I will be hanging out on your radio for the next hour, broadcasting on Jagera and Turable Country. And today on the show, we're going to be checking in across the country with what's happening in the climate movement. Different parts of the climate movement, of course, climate change, it's a huge issue and there's lots of different things that we need to do to uh, try to address it. And so uh, it's incumbent upon us to find different ways that we can fit into that broad spectrum of ways of combating climate change. So today I'm going to be talking to a few people who are doing disruptive climate activism in different parts of the country. First off, we'll be chatting to Emil Davey from a group called Disrupt Burrup Hub. They're based over in WA and so over here we don't hear too much about what they're doing but in Perth they have really been rocking the boat um, doing a lot of disruptive actions this year, getting a lot of news coverage and a lot of pushback, as we'll hear from police, from big corporations and from the media over there. I also spoke to Naomi Hodgson, who's from a group called Rising Tide, who were probably Australia's first climate direct action group began in Newcastle about 20 years ago, the first one to start trying to disrupt the fossil fuel industry as a way of talking about what we're going to need to do to address climate change, which is significant disruption to the fossil fuel industry. Sorry to tell you, uh, big mining companies, but that is just what's going to have to happen if we're going to keep this world in a habitable state. And finally, I'll be talking to Ahana and Layla who are local Brisbane, a couple of local Brisbane school students organising today's School Strike for Climate, which will be happening from 1pm to 3pm, so immediately after this show finishes. Um, So if you really want to make it there, then you could skip out right now and you could tune in later on to the Paradigm Shift using 4ZZZ On Demand. Otherwise, hang around and you will get to hear about the school strike uh, from a couple of the kids who are organising it. I'll be rushing down to the school strike straight after I finish the show. And so let's start off. Let's uh, chat to Emil Davey from Disrupt Borough Pub. Uh, My name's Emil. 
I'm a Disrupt Bar Up Hub uh, campaigner, part of a group that is using direct action as a means to challenge the fossil fuel industry, uh, in particular uh, Woodside's Bar Up Hub project in the Pilbara. Yeah, so many of us on the East Coast wouldn't be very familiar with the Burrup Hub and Woodside Scarborough Project, which you are trying to disrupt. So can you give us a bit more info on it? Yeah, a lot of people on the West Coast also don't know all the information of uh, what it is um, simply because it's so remote. So it's in the Pilbara, which is uh, like a very kind of northwest corner of WA. And the Bar Up Hub is a, uh, a collection of uh, gas projects. Part of the Bar Up Hub is the Scarborough Gas Project that you mentioned, but it also has the Pluto plant, um, the Browse plant, which is under construction, um, and the Caratha gas plant. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a collection of gas projects, like made by Woodside, that has been operating since the 1980s uh the Caratha gas plant started in in the 1980s and since then has constantly been expanded been expanding and um yeah it just gets bigger and bigger um and needs to be stopped all right so you just mentioned that Woodside's gas project's been going for a long time but Disrupt Barrup Hub the group is much newer can you tell us how the group came about um so the group uh, came about at the start of the year. You know, there's always been kind of protests against Woodside, um, a lot of like petitions, and there was actually a record number of submissions for the Scarborough and Browse projects to not go ahead. And the group started up because all these kind of means of action weren't actually doing anything to, you know, stop gas coming out of the ground. So the groups formed to really challenge Woodside and bring the project into the public sphere. Because, like, before this year, most people didn't even know what the Barup Hub was. So it was really kind of putting it on the map, putting Woodside on the map, and really trying to tackle, take down that social licence that Woodside has in this state. One of the interesting things about the campaign up on the Barup Peninsula is that as well as the climate issues around Woodside's gas, there's also Indigenous issues about the way that the rock art at Murujuga is being affected by this, and there's been a lot of opposition from First Nations people up there. How do are these two sit together, the climate side and the Indigenous side of the issue? Well, to be honest, it's, um, it's one and the same, you know, to protect sacred country, you also need to protect the climate. Like the two are very linked. Um, there's also that heritage aspect that you talk about, um, that there is millions of really, really ancient petroglyphs um, that are so old that we don't even know how they were created. And they, in fact, like depict megafauna that hasn't existed for tens of thousands of years. Um, so it's something that we really need to protect um, because it's, you know, Australia's cultural heritage um, and it, of, of course, means a lot to traditional owners in the area as well. Um, so Disrupt Barrup Hub has worked with 
are like other indigenous campaigns in the area like Save Our Songlines and kind of all working together to stop industry on the Burrup because it's not only these rock arts being destroyed by physically moving them or in the 1980s that actually just blew them up and bulldozed them out of the way. It's not just that. It's also because of the, all the emissions in the area, they are fading at like an exponential rate and it's estimated that a lot of them won't be visible like within the end of, end of a century, which is really a really sad fact because, you know, these artworks have existed for tens of thousands of years and we are managing to the, destroy them in such a short time frame. So you mentioned that Disrupt Barrap Hub only formed at the beginning of the year, but you've certainly caused a bit of a fuss in that time. Can you give us a bit of an overview of some of the actions that you've done? Yeah, totally. So the campaign started early in the year with uh, an action at the Art Gallery of Western Australia um, where Joanna spray-painted over a very famous painting down on, it, on his luck, which is a, uh, I guess, an early, very famous colonial depiction of Australia. And the thought behind that was how can the fossil fuel industry destroy sacred artwork on the on the Barrett Peninsula, and yet these uh, colonial artworks are so highly preserved in the art gallery. You know, if culture is being destroyed, then we need to bring that into the public space, into the art gallery. The next action was a um, Trent spray painted the entire outside of the Woodside headquarters in Perth which caused a bit of a ruckus. Uh, it was a big demonstration, a lot of paint. Um, we've spray-painted Parliament House. Um, I, myself, uh, was a pitch invader at the footy with a big flag that said Disrupt Barrap Hub. Um, and probably our biggest action ever um, was the evacuation of the Woodside headquarters where uh, Kristen evacuated 2,500 employees Woodside employees because every day that we can stop culture and climate being destroyed on the Burrup is a good day and finally probably the most controversial Disrupt Burrup Hub project was the attempted spray paint stunt at the CEO of Woodside's house. So that's kind of a an overview of what's happened which is quite a lot in such a small time and it has really been shaking the tree here in Western Australia. You know Woodside is taking action against us. The police are reacting in ways that we have never seen here in Western Australia before. And every, most people know about the Barrap Hub now, so we've really put this project on the map. As you said, you've done a lot of actions in a short time, but there's also been a big pushback. Woodside is a huge corporation, and particularly in WA, has a lot of political influence. And so... Um, in response to your group's actions, there's been threats of civil litigation, there's been really heavy policing and a incredible um, media smearing of your group. Can you tell us a bit about that and what effects it's had on the group? The reaction from the state and from Woodside has certainly been over the top, but also certainly not unexpected. Um, Western Australia has kind of been a mining state seemingly forever and a day and when people stand up to that and challenge that 
um, then the police and Woodside are certainly not happy. Um, we've seen uh, a lot of pushback. Me and two other activists, um, Woodside, have threatened to sue us. And you, you know, you can tell it's a crazy state of the world when a multi-billion dollar company is suing me, a 21-year-old, um, with basically nothing to my name. The response from the police has been totally over the top. Um, we definitely know that there are links between Woodside and the WA police force. I often refer to them as Woodside's private security. Um, the police have been in my house probably four or five times. I uh, have ha had my house and my vehicle searched uh, twice. Uh, I've even been held at gunpoint by the police for peaceful climate action, which is just crazy. You know, the police are supposed to be here to protect the people of the state and they're being violent towards non-violent protests. Um, but what I take from all this is that the campaign is definitely working and it's certainly shaking the tree, that's for sure. Yeah, you talked about questioning Woodside's social licence and in WA, Woodside is inescapable, right? They sponsor all the sporting teams and art galleries and cultural events. But I guess it's quite illustrative here of what happens when you scratch a bit below the surface of this corporation that's supposedly everybody's friend. Is this a kind of thing that you are aiming to do? Um, well, we're certainly aiming to destroy the social licence of Woodside. Um, because it's simply hip hypocritical for them to sponsor, you know, all the things in the state that people love, like the Dockers footy team, like Woodside's Little Nippers, the WA Symphony Orchestra. Um, all the major cultural icons of this state are sponsored by Woodside. And it's hi hypocritical that they don't, you know, announce that they donate massive amounts of money to political parties um, and obviously have some kind of influence over the police. So this is absolutely something that we need to uh, shine a light on and say, you know, Woodside are throwing money around to cover up the kind of dirty deeds that they're doing on the borough, which is, you know, no favour to anyone. You know, the climate crisis is going to affect us all. Now, there has been a bit of good news in the last week. There's been a court injunction taken out by Raylene Cooper from Save Our Songlines, the traditional owner up in the Pilbara, um, and it stopped Woodside seismic blasting there, exploring for offshore gas at Scarborough. Yes, that's absolutely good news. I'm sure a lot of people know that uh, seismic blasting is terrible, um, you know, causes a lot of damage. Uh, kills whales, kills turtles. A lot of the things that we're, you know, proud of about WA. Um, so, you know, every day that we can delay Woodside from seismic blasting is a good thing, that's for sure. And I think a lot of that success is to do with the kind of hard work and intense campaign of Disrupt Barrett Pub. I'm interested to talk strategically for a, a minute about about the tactics that Disrupt Bar Hub have used. 
a small group of people doing very visual, very disruptive actions, but which have received quite a lot of pushback. Where do you think that a group like Disrupt Barrup Hub sits within a, a broader climate movement? Well, yeah, the climate movement is, you know, you need a multifaceted approach to tackle the climate crisis. Um, in fact, a lot of people say that the depth of the climate crisis, how serious it is, is almost too much for one person to comprehend. So you, you need multiple approaches to, um, for change. So we need to see political change. Uh, we need to see social change. And we also need direct action, like di- what Disrupt Bar- Barrup Hub are doing. You know, putting putting people on the front line, people who are willing to make sacrifices, because throughout history, that has really been the key mover and shaker in a lot of social me- movements. It's really people who are show that they're willing to sacrifice everything for the greater good of society. So, what's the plans for the future? Obviously, there's been a, a few complications, threats of lawsuits and police raids and things like that. Is that going to put the group off? Um, that's absolutely not going to put the group off. Uh, like I've said before, I'm certainly much more scared about my future um, and about the future of culture in this country than I am of the WA police force. And uh, I'm not scared of Woodside. Um, what's happening in the future is this campaign is just going to escalate and escalate until there is no more industry on the bar because that's what needs to happen. So what we're, what we're asking for now is we want people to go to our website and sign up to actions, sign up to trainings, and we have plans within the next month or so to block the Quinana Freeway in Perth and then take that activity up to the bar hub and stop gas from coming out the ground as much as we can so that's what's happening in the future so you can everyone can follow us on social media obviously instagram facebook twitter all that go to our website sign up to the email list to get action updates and info about upcoming trainings and stuff all right thanks very much emil thank you andy you are listening to 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. The Paradigm Shift is the name of the show. And we were speaking to Emil Davey from Disrupt Borough Hub, a group of West Australian climate activists who are really um, causing quite a fuss over there. And, you know, they're copying it a bit as well from the uh, rich and powerful sectors of society but good on them it is really amazing work they're doing and i'm very happy to be able to share it with people on the east coast who maybe don't know much about um, what's happening and of course west australia you know in queensland's a mining state right we have a, a lot of the world's coal comes from queensland but the state's not run by um, fossil fuel companies in quite the same way as it is in Western Australia and um, or mining corporations anyway. And so, yeah, they're really seeing that in action. Now, something a bit closer to home that if you got inspired by the interview but thought that West Australia is a bit far to go to get involved, well, in Newcastle, which is another big um, fossil fuel exporting part of the world, they've got... Um, a big protest coming up November 24th to 27th is the People's Blockade of the world's biggest coal port 
I think Queensland actually has the second biggest coal port in the world at Mackay, actually. But um, Newcastle is the biggest, and uh, a group called Rising Tide have been doing big, mass direct action at that um, harbour for quite a long time. They've had a bit of a break, but they're getting it going again. And so I spoke to Naomi Hodgson from Rising Tide about it, about what they're doing and why. And if you are interested, there is a group of people from Brisbane organising to get down there. You can um, I search for that in the usual places. You could even contact Rising Tide and they would put you in contact. Or if you're really desperate, um, reach out to the Paradigm Shift and I can put you in contact with how to get become part of a group that is going down to join in with what will hopefully be one of the biggest uh, mass direct action this country has ever seen. So anyway, for now, let's have a listen to Naomi. I'm Naomi and I'm from Rising Tide in Mullumbimba, Newcastle. Now, Rising Tide has been going for some time and, in fact, is possibly the first climate direct action group in the country. Can you give us a bit of a history? Yeah, sure. So we established in Newcastle in 2004 and being here in the world's biggest coal port, I think the climate crisis came to our attention earlier than it did a lot of other grassroots activists. Um, Yeah, a lot of us were forest activists and really concerned about biodiversity loss and extinction and general um, ecological collapse that was looming um, at that time, obviously. But um, the climate crisis wasn't something that people were talking about as much, but um, we started to become aware of the contribution of the coal leaving our port literally like in front of our eyes um, where we lived and um, started to um, focus our attention in that direction around that time when we decided to form Rising Tide. And um, yeah, I think we were the first group that I'm pretty sure um, using like nonviolent direct action tactics um, to talk about the, um, the climate crisis and to draw attention between the links of coal and particularly coal exports and climate change. So can you tell us some of the different actions that you did? There were some like kind of smaller ones like you might have done in forest blockades, but also a real tradition of these big convergences and big direct actions. Yeah. So Rising Tide, the first iteration was active from 2005 to about 2012 when everyone sort of went separate ways onto different like campaigns and organisations and climate-based research and um, in that first iteration we definitely had a, um, a value around including a diversity of community and presenting um, a, a citizen front like um, trying to involve um, a range of people in direct action so that it had an appearance and and an a reality of being um, an inclusive and legitimate form of of action um, in the face of an extreme situation, which it was back then and obviously is even more extreme and urgent now. And so we did have a focus on big actions, particularly the flotilla blockades of the harbour, which we started doing back in 2005. Um, they've been always the actions that we've been able to involve the most people in because it's public waters that people paddle on and just by um, paddling and doing something perfectly legal and by gathering mass numbers of people together, we're able to be disruptive and effective um, through taking nonviolent direct action. You've mentioned that 
you know, the world's biggest coal port is there in Newcastle. And, of course, the Hunter Valley surrounding Newcastle is very much this coal mining area traditionally. Are there specific kind of challenges that came up trying to organise in a place like that? Um, and how has that worked out for Rising Tide? Yeah, there was challenges. The The culture war around jobs and the environment was probably a lot stronger back then than what it is now. Um, and so as much as possible, the industry and their supporters in government would say that we wanted to shut down the industry overnight and um, weren't concerned about um, workers' rights. Um, but it's, it's incredibly frustrating because um, I, I was involved back in those early years and our message was always that we needed a plan because the, the climate crisis was only going to get more and more serious um, and climate disasters that we that were looming or that were beginning back then, um, the, the predictions were what we see rolling out now and we were just calling for an end to coal expansions and a transition plan so that workers and coal-dependent communities could be supported through an orderly transition into... Um, sustainable jobs and industries in in clean energy technologies and uh yeah it's 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 sad that that wasn't heated and not only are we seeing devastating climate impacts today but um we have um, a region that is still has a high dependence on the coal industry um obviously for the people that are in those sectors and um, there is a lot of positive work that's happened in the in intervening time um, and a lot of progress um, towards planning for a transition, but there's still an attitude of entrenching reliance on the coal export industry with massive coal projects being considered currently. So those same sort of challenges um, still exist and, um, yeah, it's something that we're still trying to manage. Yeah, well, the people's blockade, the flotilla to blockade the world's biggest coal port is being rebooted. Like you said, it happened regularly for a while, but it hasn't happened in quite a while now, and it's on again later this year. Why did you decide that that was something that was worth starting up again? Well, we restarted Rising Tide in August last year because we felt that there was a, a gap in the movement ecosystem of... of grassroots um, disruptive action that is explicitly aiming to engage as many people as possible and the greatest diversity as possible. So we didn't see anyone else doing that type of um, action and, and we think that's really important. So that's why we decided to restart. And the flotilla blockade, the people's blockade is just a really powerful tactic and a really effective way of involving masses of people in a way that's fun and safe and accessible. Now, you just used a phrase there, movement ecosystem, and it's such an interesting um, topic. And so often in the media, I guess when you talk about activism, it's this kind of reporting of these things happen, but not so much about kind of strategic thinking and the strategy behind why people do what kinds of actions. Do you want to talk a bit more about why you think that doing yeah, disruptive direct action, but specifically doing it in mass numbers and big groups and openly, why you think that that's something important strategically? Yeah, because... We know that a majority of Australians are worried about the climate crisis and there's 
about a quarter that are alarmed. So we're trying to mobilise and activate that proportion of the population um, to get involved in disruptive actions because they're actions that can't be ignored. And when we have huge numbers and diversity of people engaged in those actions, to the rest of the community, it is more compelling. So people see people like themselves engaged in actions or people like others that they know in their families or communities and they're more easily able to empathise with the actions that they're seeing depicted on the news and the message that we're sending cuts through. So I think people are, people are worried and the polling shows that and really how could you not be to a certain extent when you see what's going on but then life just goes on and people have a whole range of priorities in their lives and busyness and there's no social proof that there's actually an emergency situation occurring and that we're in the final years to avert irreversible climate collapse that would be utterly devastating for all of society. Like, you look around and it, it just seems like things are, are mostly normal most of the time. And so we need to involve mass numbers of people to demonstrate that there is a, a crisis and that people are freaking out about it and we're taking rational action with a great diversity of people um, to, to show the rest of the world that um, there's no time left to lose. All right, well, do you want to give us a bit of a plug of the uh, People's Blockade, when it will happen, what it will look like? Sure. We're very excited about it. We're expecting hundreds of people from all of the major cities on the East Coast and Adelaide as well to travel here for it. Um, it's going to be um, in November um, from the 24th to the 27th. And the first day we'll be training and planning for action and discussions. And then the weekend of the 25th and the 26th of November will be a flotilla on the water in the shipping channel which is just a couple of hundred meters from a lovely little beach in Newcastle City. Hundreds of people out there on the water occupying that space to prevent coal ships from moving and this year is different to what it's ever been before because previously we've held the action for a single day about six hours. This time we've chosen to escalate and um, we are holding it from 10am on Saturday until 4pm on Sunday. So that will be 30 hours, including overnight. So we're expecting mass numbers, but we also need mass numbers in order to be successful with this event because our theory of change is that by getting mass numbers of people involved, we can be unpoliceable and that it will be simply too dangerous for them to bring coal ships through. And we're hoping that they just concede and let us have the space for that period of time. So it's going to be really effective direct action, um, but it's also going to be heaps of fun paddling on the water and lots of like activities and um, great speeches and live music and um, stuff for kids and young families as well on the beach. So for anyone who doesn't want to get out there on the water, it's totally um, great for people just to come and participate from the beach and um, be involved in the the festive rally type atmosphere that will be happening um, on the beach in view of the flotilla on the water. Um, and then the final day um, will be a day for debriefing and planning the next steps because 
this isn't an isolated tactic like it has been to a certain extent in the past. This time we are intent on building a civil resistance movement and shutting down um, coal exports from the world's biggest coal port um, by 2030. So this is a step in our um, escalation to build that mass movement towards that goal. All right. How can people find out more info if they're interested? Uh, they can go to our website, risingtide.org.au, and the events link will take them to further information about the blockade. Okay, thanks heaps, Naomi, and I'll see you in Newcastle in November. Awesome. Thanks so much, Andy. On the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, that is Naomi Hodgson from Rising Tide about their plans for a people's blockade of the world's biggest coal port in Newcastle. November 24th to 27th is when it's happening. And like I said earlier, if you are keen to go down as part of a group from Brisbane, then there will be a big convoy and... um, there's ways you can get in contact with that if you look up for the people's blockade um you'll certainly be able to be put in contact with somebody from brisbane now one action that's happening a lot closer to home and a lot more imminently is the school strike for climate which is kicking off in about 12 minutes in the city um i spoke this week to ahana and layla two high school students who are helping to organize it let's have a listen to them I'm Ahana. I'm Layla. And we're from the QLD School Strike for Climate team. And you are both part of organising the School Strike for Climate rally that will happen just after this episode goes to air. So tell us, what's happening? Um, okay, so we're hosting a climate strike we're, and we'll be gathering at Queen's Gardens at 1pm and we, we'll be marching to Parliament. It's going to be about approximately a 45 minute march and we'll be delivering our policy briefing to parliament house which has all of our demands um as strikers in order to ensure ourselves a safe future and that we don't continue to contribute drastically towards climate change and why do you think it's important for high school students like yourselves to take actions like this Young people are the future, um, and because we can't vote, we often feel um, dismissed or like not relevant, but it is so important for us to have um, a very informed political lens so that you know we can be prepared when we are the next leaders and decision makers and change makers. So you'll be walking out of school for the afternoon. Scott Morrison famously once said that kids should spend more time studying and less time protesting. But it's a different kind of learning, isn't it? Um, Learning community organising and communicating. What's it like, that process of learning how to organise an event like this and get your message across? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, like, we really learn um, that sense of, like, independence um, and autonomy and we learn you know like we a lot of us just kind of have been thrown in the deep end with a lot of this and kind of like had to figure out how things work before we got mentorship so yeah um, we've learnt to take risks and make it work and bring it all together yeah I think that a lot of the organizers there's probably about five or so key organizers who have put in like probably over 100 hours like I always say to people it's a full-time job organizing and I think that when politicians say that um we're young and we're dumb and we don't know what we're doing I honestly would argue that any 16 year old who's organizing a 
massive uh, climate strike to the scale that we are pulling it off to is more qualified than any politician that's sitting in parliament because it is so much work, it does take so much skill and it. The people who are organizing it, the team that I'm working with are so incredibly skilled and talented. Um, and I think that people don't really understand how much work it does take and how amazing these people really are. There's quite a lot of community support for school strikers and a lot of people who aren't school students will turn up today. But what about within the schools? What's been the response from your teachers and the other school staff? Um, it kind of depends on what school. Like, um, I know a lot of people from a lot of private schools have had some negative feedback um, and they are forced to um, change before they go strike in case um, the news comes back to their schools and administration. Um, but I find a lot of the public schools are quite liberal and a lot of the teachers have been talking about joining us on strike, which is so amazing because honestly we can't do it. We can't. Um, just do it ourselves like we need community and that that's everyone yeah I have a few of my teachers who I know are kind of unofficially joining us um, in protesting and I think my school like the administration is quite against it and they will kind of try their best to stop students from leaving schools or they'll schedule an assembly at the same time so people have to attend um but that's mostly just like the people who aren't really engaging with students but the actual teachers who are in classrooms every day are the ones who are willing to listen and who who are on board and so i think that's the support that really matters so it doesn't really matter if we're gonna get support from like principals because we're gonna do it anyway we don't we don't need their um permission to do it and that says a lot about like um kind of like our system is that the people who um aren't on the front lines can't empathize don't really want to try empathize they don't really care and they don't have to care um but it's you know like our teachers the people that talk to us every day form those connections that can like really understand where we're coming from and really support the movement Yeah, well, I think some teachers will be happy that their students are engaging in anything and not just on TikTok or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. I think that there's definitely, there can be negative stereotypes and perceptions around, oh, we just want to get a free day off school. But I'm like, it's the people who are staying in schools that are the ones who are generally kind of disengaged and who don't really engage in their community and who don't really know what they're going to do with their life which there's nothing wrong with that but they're the kind of the ones who are kind of apathetic towards people around them which i wouldn't say is a great characteristic to have it's been interesting to watch the school strike over the years like when in 2018 when it started with greta thunberg getting a lot of media attention and then big rallies in australia there was a lot of momentum but of course those kids finish school and go on to other things so i'm interested in your thoughts on how it's evolved as time's gone on and different kids have come through so funny enough i've never been to a school strike this is the first school strike i'll ever be going to and it's the one i've organized my um parents were not um quite supportive of it um in the earlier years so i wasn't allowed to but you know, I'm so excited to see what it's like now. Um, but yeah, I know that Layla's been to a couple pre-COVID, so... Yeah, I think that in terms of organising, uh, like, internally within the space, there is kind of a little bit of, like, 
Ugh, I wish it was kind of as easy as it was in 2019 to get like 100,000 people to pull up because there was like such significant uh, media attention and it was just kind of, I don't know, in the mainstream at the time. And so everyone was just going because their friends were going because it was cool, because it was popular um, and not to discredit anyone who organized in 2019 and to people, the people who were attending. But definitely in a post-COVID space, it is quite difficult. And just to kind of continue to try to get people to care when it isn't necessarily in mainstream news anymore is quite difficult. But I think that we're still trying our best and I think we are still going to pull off a really, really amazing protest on Friday. All right. Well, I'll be coming down after the paradigm shift finishes and maybe some of our listeners will be so inspired by this interview that they'll race straight out the door to the city. So do you want to give a final plug? So school strike, um, one to three, Queen's Gardens, we're marching to Parliament, um, we're demanding climate justice because our future can't wait, 2050 is too late. All right, thanks heaps, Ahana and Layla. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. That is Ahana and Layla there from School Strike for Climate. I'm on my way there now, as I just said, and... Of course, I will continue to be trying to work with all different groups that are trying to tackle climate change. It's a job. It's a very big job. It's one that our governments and corporations have just shown that they're not up to the task for. They're not willing to make the changes required, and so it's up to all of us. And we've got to find lots of creative and sometimes courageous ways of doing it, like the people that I've been speaking to on the paradigm shift today who are all doing amazing things so i'll see you out there on the front lines see you next week